0: my brothers and sisters, we are going to a construction site this month. Today, we're starting a brand new discussion series that is titled behind the scenes of a construction site. I'm so excited. And today we're going to talk about Nehemiah's prayer for reconstruction from Nehemiah chapter one, verses four through 11. My friends, we have to come to terms with the fact that a construction site is far from pretty. Wood is everywhere. Building materials are everywhere. Things are undone and nothing is finished. Construction sites are just flat out, call it what it is, ugly. They're filled with resources that will be used to produce beauty. But construction sites, again, I tell you, they're just not pretty. But thinking about that, neither are some of our lives. Face the fact that most of our lives are just messy. They're in progress, just like construction sites. Think about it, students are on their way in progress to graduation. Our adults are on their way in progress to promotions and hopefully financial security. We are in the process, on the pathway to reaching our goals. And like a little kid, we love to sit in the back seat and literally ask, God, God, are we there yet? So welcome to the construction site this month and let's embrace this reality as we notice the scenes behind a construction site through the guidance of Nehemiah. Why a construction site, you may ask? Well, because all of Jerusalem at this time has been ruined and the people have been driven out to Babylon. It was a rough and horrible scene. Our guide for this month, Nehemiah, he sees a problem that Jerusalem is torn to shreds and pieces and Nehemiah wants to do something about it. Nehemiah, in compassion and with great energy, desires to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. But with the desire he is filling, his placement happens to be that he is only the cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah is not high on the influential scale, but he shows us through his life that when you are obedient to God, God provides And so it happened around November or December that Nehemiah is given an update about the remnant of people who are in Jerusalem who survived the fall of Jerusalem. This very small motley crew of a group, (laughs) they are in Jerusalem looking around and the place is completely in ruins. The place needs rebuilding. It is in desperate need of renewal because Jerusalem is lacking protection because there is absolutely no wall surrounding Jerusalem. That means that people can just come in. People see what's going on. Jerusalem is in a place of public disgrace and public trouble. But I want you to notice from Nehemiah's life something very simple. Nehemiah is feeling the burdensome motivation right there in verse 4. Nehemiah says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let's sit here for a moment, friends. This burdensome motivation that Nehemiah once felt, it leads us to reflect on c s lewis's words, as c s Lewis once said that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to ruse a deaf world. See Nehemiah here he's hearing that Jerusalem is currently in shambles, and he finds that to be. Heartbreaking, I mean earth shattering to him. This moves him to tears because he remembers what Jerusalem used to be. He remembers those who used to live there, he remembers the families and the community that was once intact. But Jerusalem is not that place anymore. And so Nehemiah weeps because he also remembers how they were suddenly and forcefully driven away to Babylon, a foreign land that they knew nothing about. They were driven away from what they knew. They were driven away from their normality, driven away from their homes. This mixture of nostalgia and pain from the past breaks the heart of Nehemiah and it moves him to tears. Nehemiah cries for Jerusalem, but friends, don't we cry for the loved ones whose necks we used to hug, but now they have transitioned. Nehemiah weeps because of the present state of Jerusalem, and we too weep about all of the violent actions that continue to happen in our world. Nehemiah weeps Because of Jerusalem and we cry out to God asking, God, will you please let the mass shooting stop? We weep for Dante Wright. We cry for George Floyd and the many, many victims of hate and senseless violence. Nehemiah weeps, friends, but so do we. These tears are not standalone, singular, momentary tears. But within these tears, our motivation to move forward. Nehemiah cries because the wall of Jerusalem that symbolized once protection is now torn down and it will take the burdensome motivation of more than a few construction workers from Jerusalem to rebuild this wall and all of Jerusalem. But before we move on, I need you to realize something, that your pain can either hinder you or your pain can propel you forward. We need to learn to make use of our pain in ways that fulfill our God-given purpose, not ways that continue or invite others to our homemade pity party. Nehemiah's burdensome motivation, it leads to Jerusalem going from a place of ruins instead of transforming now into a construction site. And so listen to more of this story because in verses 5 through 7, you're going to notice the authentic prayer. Of Nehemiah. Nehemiah has already had the burdensome motivation given to him by God, but now he prays an authentic prayer to God beginning in verse five. He says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decreed, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Weeping with burdensome motivation. Nehemiah authentically prays to God, asking that God would pay close attention and offer full-hearted compassion to the people of Jerusalem in this time. But at the end of verse 6, you have to feel his authenticity, and you see the transparency as Nehemiah says, but hold on, I confess that we, the Israelites, we have wronged you, God. He expresses that I'm not perfect. He says, none of us are perfect in this ordeal. We have all committed wrongs against God. He calls their combined actions wicked, and he names their disobedience. Do you hear that? Please hear and feel this. Nehemiah, yes, is brokenhearted. His heart is shattered into a million pieces. Yet in this time, he's not only authentic, but his prayer is saturated with humility. Friends, authenticity is never separated from humility. I need you to pay attention to this because the Holy Spirit infiltrates our lives when we live, pray, pray, and work authentically, but also when we saturate, fully immerse ourselves with humility. See, a roadblock to success is always pridefulness, but the gateway to the heart of God is authenticity and humility. Nehemiah is awed by God's power. He asks for God's attention. He confesses the community's wrongs, and now he's petitioning For God's mercy. He knows that the people of Israel do not deserve it. He knows their wrongs toward God makes them a candidate for God's wrath, not God's mercy. But in brokenness, he is asking God, can we just get a little drop of your mercy on our situation? Nehemiah is desperate, y'all. Nehemiah is raw here, y'all. He is authentically asking God for mercy to help him and all of Israel. Oh, friends, you've heard Nehemiah's story, but have you been there? Have you been there where you desperately needed a move of God in your situation? Maybe, even recently, you found yourself in a similar situation where you were in desperate need of God. Possibly, you may have needed him to help you graduate, and you just needed to pass one exam, and you found yourself saying, God, I need you. Perhaps you cried out authentically in prayer for a family member who was sick and you said, God, I need your healing. Could it possibly be maybe a friend who found themselves surrounded by depression and suicidal thoughts and even possibly addiction, and you cried out for that friend, God, I need you. No matter what it is, we all find ourselves authentically in need of God's mercy. And because we always have a real need, we do well to just cut the crap and just like Nehemiah, communicate our real need to a real God. So here lies the question that Corey Tim Boom would ask all of us, and I'm going to quote it again right here: "Friends, is prayer your steering wheel, or is it your spare tire?" Is prayer where you steer and lean your complete authentic self into God and ask for God's mercy or is prayer used like a spare tire in the trunk under all of your mess where you only clear out that junk and pull it out when it's needed. For Nehemiah friends, prayer was his steering wheel and prayer steered him into the presence of God. Friends, May we learn from Nehemiah that, yes, there will be burdens that we bear in life, situations that we need saving from, and challenges which are assigned to us. But but it is only by prayer and being in the presence of God that we gain comfort and wisdom on how to deal with life's burdens and challenges So if you wrestle with being authentic in your prayer time, you probably more than likely wrestle with being authentic in life. But be encouraged because your awkwardness is awesome to God and your silliness may annoy some, but it makes God smile. And if God loves it and it's you, then you just be you. Hmm. And as God created you, you have to understand that God deserves all of you in your worship, all of you in your prayer time, all of you in your life. There should not be a relationship, a friendship, or any environment that you go in and feel the need to shrink down. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah brought his full self to God, but he teaches us not only to bring our full self to God, but we should bring our full self every single place we go. My brother Nehemiah had a burdensome Motivation to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. He was authentic in his prayer for reconstruction. But I want you to pick up at verse 8 and let's travel together deeper into this construction site because Nehemiah is not done praying. Nehemiah says, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, Then even if your exiled people are at the Father's horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, I was the cupbearer to the king. Friends, I need you to hear something. Listen to the change in direction and the plan that was birthed all in Nehemiah's prayers. See, Nehemiah early in his prayer life, he shared that all of Israel, even himself, had acted wickedly towards God. He confesses that authentically. But in his prayer, he retells God, he retelled God's word to God, saying that you said, God, if we were to change our direction from our wickedness and follow you wholeheartedly, that you would gather us together and provide mercy to our lives. Nehemiah has left the direction of sin and is completely leaning into the one who saves. This is magnificently beautiful because in his distress, in his weeping, in his crying, he goes to God before he goes to anyone else. In his pain, in his mercy, in his heartbreak, Nehemiah prays to God before he goes to anyone else. But what is striking and steps on my feet at this moment and possibly yours is the fact that he experienced hardship He's not in a glamorous position. He's not a CEO of a construction site at the moment. Nehemiah is a cupbearer, y'all. He could have easily said, I experienced this pain. I've been driven to a foreign land. I'm only a cupbearer. There is no way possible I'm going to continue my relationship with God. If Nehemiah had been some of us, y'all, let's just tell the truth and keep it 100. We would have said, God... You don't forgot about me. (laughs) God, I don't know what you're doing and I can't trace what you're doing. And because I don't understand what you're doing, I'm going to be a critic of what you're doing. I'm going to leave you alone, God. (laughs) But instead, my brother Nehemiah holds on to his faith amidst the pain, amidst the discomfort. He trusts that God has a purpose even in his waiting. (laughs) he trusts that god is going to birth something even out of his discomfort he trusts that even though his life may be a mess that the lord is still going to bless him friends you have to love god here <laughs> because what's so beautiful about god and nehemiah's story is that nehemiah being the cupbearer to the king because he's in the palace that means he is surrounded by royalty but watch this. He's also surrounded by resources. <laughs> and I love it because he prays this long prayer beginning in verse five. And he goes on saying, I, we've done wrong. This has been bad. Oh, my God, we sinned against you. But then he says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Do you hear that? A plan was birthed while this man was praying." Friends, y'all better catch this. The footprints of God are all in, up, and through Nehemiah's life. Because yes, he had been driven from Jerusalem to Babylon, and that was not right. And yes, he was the cupbearer to the king, equaling up to today, just simply being a servant. But in the midst of him being a servant, God had providentially placed Nehemiah in a position that in God's timing, he would strike Nehemiah and say, hey wake up (laughs) and because I'm going to send you back from the place I drove you from and you're going to help to rebuild the wall. Friends, you better catch this today that sometimes in your life what's so painful to you what you can't get over, the things you're holding a grudge about, God is gifting you with development and reconstructing your life. There may be some things that are frustrating you at the moment where you're ready to throw in the towel where you're saying God, you don't care about me but your pain does have purpose. I want you to know that just like God set Nehemiah up for a field goal of mercy, God is always giving us more mercy than we even deserve. What's so beautiful about Nehemiah is that Nehemiah shows us that just because God may be silent, that does not mean that God is not working. He shows us that, yes, life may be uncomfortable, but God's unconditional love is still available to us. We notice that as Nehemiah continued in faith, changed directions, God gave him the first step towards a plan that Jerusalem and everyone would benefit from. I need you to catch this takeaway right now because it blessed me this week. And I think Nehemiah is going to use this to bless everybody watching this. Here's the takeaway. God is always working to shape, build, and grow us into the disciple he wants us to be. I'll say it once more. God is always, like he never stops shaping, building, and growing us into the disciple that he wants us to be. Sometimes you may feel broken hearted. Sometimes you may be moved to tears just like Nehemiah. Sometimes you may feel abandoned and hurt, but there's purpose behind your pain because Nehemiah's pain led directly to his purpose, and I promise your tears are not for nothing. Friends, I know this, and I know we've had such a crazy time with all that's going on, from pandemic to racism to just everything, the constant fighting, and it's easy to say there's no purpose for this. God can't birth anything out of this. Do you not know that God is in the miracle-working business? We were down a place totally at a dead end. There was nothing else for us, and God sent his mercy in human form by the name of Jesus. Jesus died for all of us that we would have the newness of life and once we transition that we would be with God in heaven friends I just you hear this sermon but I got to ask you a question do you have a relationship with Jesus because if you don't have a relationship with Jesus there's no better day than to start that relationship right now you can do it from right where you are we, all you have to do is repeat a prayer after me. It's real short. You ready? Let's pray. God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of God's love. I believe that Jesus died for me. And I confess that Christ is the Lord of my life. Amen. Friends, maybe you prayed that prayer just now or you may stand in the need of more prayer. You may have more pain than pleasure at this time, and you're saying, I need somebody to pray with me. Well, rather, you, if you just prayed the prayer of salvation or if you stand in the need of prayer, I want you to do me a favor. Just simply email all together at spdl.org, and I promise we'll get back to you today because we want to walk with you. We want to pray with you because you are not alone. Nehemiah had been through some pain, but God was with him in the pain, and he lifted him up even right now, showing that he had a purpose, and you have a purpose. Friends, I want you to hang on. I need you to join me next week because we've seen today that God's always at work building, shaping, and forming us into the Jesus follower he wants us to be, but friends, we're going to come back to this construction site because Nehemiah is far from through. And I just want you to hold on a little while longer because everything will be all right. It has a purpose. And in God's timing, it will be revealed that what God is doing is greater than you can imagine. So this week, reflect on Nehemiah 1 verses 4 through 11. I need you to embrace diversity, live a worshipful life and glorify God every single day.